you have questions like Jesse does, maybe you need to get back to the basics. Enjoy this B2B message from Pastor Jason. Good evening, Reality Church. Uh, welcome to this B2B for this evening. Um, glad you could join us uh, for the as we continue our teaching of the Apostles' Creed. Um, before we go into the uh, teaching, I would like to uh, call you to worship of the one true God. Let me uh, use Psalm 5, 7 through 8. It says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now in worship and in honor of who you are, knowing that you are God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are the highest and the holiest thing. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Through Christ, you have redeemed us from the curse of sin and death and freed us from the wrath to come. God, we thank you so much for that. Through the Holy Spirit, you lead us, guide us every day and are sanctifying us in holiness as we are led about by the Spirit. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. God, right now, we just come to you asking you to bring peace into our lives, God, even though our world may be chaotic, things may be going on around us that are very difficult, God, but we know that you are God and that you are holy, you are in control, you are sovereign, you have all power and all authority, and we thank you that you are with us no matter what we face, that if, even in suffering, God, we are yours, we are appointed, and, and, and we have all that we need because of all that you have done. And we thank you for that, God. We ask you right now to bless those families that are hurting right now. God, we pray especially for the Miles family, for the loss of Brother Keith, God, a wonderful man who is now with you and who has been glorified and forever set free from any pain, suffering, or sin. God, comfort his family. Bless them. God, we pray for the Gunner family, God, as they have gone through the loss of their home. We ask that you would continue to bless them, God. Restore them even greater than before, God. And God, we pray for the Briggs family as they face cancer. We ask that you help Sister Carol to be whole, to be at peace, and to know that you are in control and that you love her dearly. God, we just ask you to do those things, God. Right now, we pray for our country, God, as we are divided over political parties, over race, over all these things that, God, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter. It's, it's all about Christ. Forgive us for our sin, God, in this country of placing things before you and not looking towards our souls and what, what really matters, and that's you. God, we would ask that you truly would search our hearts and show us if there be any evil way in us, God, and forgive us where we fail you and help us to see those ways that we may kill sin in our lives. We give you honor and praise tonight. 
and we thank you for what's about to take place and the word that you're about to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we have embarked on this exposition of the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest creeds of Christendom. It is uh, the minimum that we should believe. And that's, that, that's, that's how I feel about it. It is, we should believe at least what the Apostles' Creed. Every Christian does believe more, but we must believe at least what the Apostles' Creed, Apostles Creed teaches us because it is strong biblical truth described in a confession that we can actually learn, we can actually recite, we can teach our children this, this, this creed. And, it, and, it, and it's good to use. It helps us to, 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 to grasp more of what we actually do believe and be able to put it into words. I want to read to you the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, <clears throat> and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, as we go into this, we have gone through the first two lines of the Apostles' Creed, some awesome teaching in that, some wonderful things that we should know. But now we come to line three, and it's actually paragraph two if you look at how the Apostles' Creed is broken up. <clears throat> and it says this, And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. So now we move on to the object of the majority of the creed the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, in doing that, we need, to, we need to look at Scripture and see where some of the basis of this actually is. What, is this, what does this mean? Why is this here? Why are we confessing Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord? Now here, the infallible, inspired Word of God. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to him, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it is inerrant, infallible. It stands the test of time. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, by all of the writers of this book. And it is put together in a way that we can learn it, we can grasp it, and we can take the principles that it teaches us and apply them to our lives and know that we are learning the best revelation of who you are. It is the rule of faith and practice, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we have it in our language, and we have it in our hands. God, 
We ask that you would remove the veil from this set of scripture and from all of the scripture used tonight and from the word that you're trying to give to your people, that they may see the revelation knowledge in this study, in this teaching, that we're revealing Christ more clearly, we are revealing you more clearly, and that is what we do when we exposit the word. God, we ask that you would bless us with revelation knowledge so that we can grasp it and we can retain it. God, we ask that you would sanctify us all by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here we go. Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, as he's saying Son of Man, he's actually given it a godly name. We'll actually look at that. That's a, that's a name of, of, of Messiah. But he's saying, who, who do men say that I am? And they had all these answers. But then he said, the most important thing he could ask them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter's the one who pipes up. He's going to be the first one to answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He makes a confession of who Jesus is. And it's very similar to the confession we make in the Apostles' Creed. So, this declaration is actually the rock that the church is built upon. And, and that's why this line is so critical to affirm and confirm in our hearts and with our mouths and in our minds as to who Christ is. There are three important pieces that we see in this line, and I want to look at each one individually because we need to see what we're actually saying when we say this because it's not just a thing to say. We are saying some very specific things about Jesus, his person, and his work. The first thing is one word, Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, you hear this all the time. We need to confirm this, okay? Christ is not Jesus' last name. His birth name is Jesus. That is, his, is the name. But in his day, he was most likely probably known as far as in his community and in his family as Jesus bar Joseph. Jesus, the son of Joseph. Or even... Uh, as he is mentioned in Scripture as Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the, the Jesus that comes from Nazareth. So he's either identified with a family name or with a, a region uh, as far as his name. You see, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his supreme title, okay? It's his supreme title. Al Mohler talks about in the book that we use a lot in this study, The Apostles' Creed, he talks about the absolute, ultimate importance of understanding and knowing exactly who we are worshiping. Uh, we need to know who it is that we are worshiping. So in this part of the creed, in confessing this single line, we say Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. So Christ means something very important, something very specific. Christ comes from the Greek Christos. And this is the Greek word that actually corresponds with a very, very important Hebrew word, Mashiach. 
That means Messiah, the anointed one. So in confessing that we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saying that we are confessing our belief in Jesus being the long prophesied Messiah who was to come. That's very important because when we confess Jesus Christ in connection with Mashiach, there's prophecies that we're saying we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. One of the, one of the main ones is that he is the Mosaic Messiah. So Moses brought the old covenant. He brought the written law to the people. He redeemed them out of Egypt and then brought them the law and brought them into the promised land, even though he couldn't enter himself. So he was a type and shadow of the Messiah to come in that he was a mediator of a covenant. Well, Christ, when we, we, we confess him as Jesus Christ, we confess that he is the mediator of the new covenant, the covenant that we now are under the covenant that we are in. If we are in Christ, we are under this covenant of grace that we are justified by faith in Christ alone, all by God's grace. So we confess that Jesus Christ, we are confessing he is the Mosaic Messiah that we have talked about. He is also the suffering servant of Isaiah. You've probably heard the, the many things in Isaiah that, that are testified of, of, of Christ, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed of that sin sickness. So he's the suffering servant, meaning that he took our sin upon himself, died in our place and became our perfect replacement on the cross. He is also the seed of David. He's the Davidic king. He is restored upon the Davidic throne as he is seated at the right hand of God. He is restoring the glory of Israel. Now, many would believe that that means that he is, you know, Israel's God's people. Well, I'm gonna, I, I say this clearly. God's people are those who are in Christ. So it's not an ethnicity that is God's people. It is those who are in Christ who are God's people. And he is seated on the Davidic throne. And it says that he is seated making his enemies his footstool. His enemies, if we look, if we cross-reference some scripture there, if he if he's making his enemies his footstool, we understand what Paul said in Romans that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. So we are the enemies that he is making his footstool. He is redeeming us. He is redeeming those who should come to him. So he's the seed of David. He's also the judge of the world, the son of man mentioned in, in Daniel and Ezekiel with coming with power and judgment to, to basically separate the, the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, to, to be the one who sits in judgment on the white throne. 
the one who we can, when we stand before him, if we're in Christ, who will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. The ones who he has clothed us with his righteousness, so we are judged worthy to enter into the kingdom because of him and what he has done. And also, this one that really stands out to me. The first prophecy of Mashiach in the Old Testament is in Genesis 3.15, when the seed of the woman is mentioned. And he is going to crush the head of the enemy as the enemy bruises his heel. The second Adam the one to make all things new, to restore relationship, to restore covenant through his death, the second Adam. Jesus Christ is that. So when we confess Jesus Christ, we are saying he is Jesus, the anointed one. We know that he is Messiah because he has fulfilled all of these different prophecies. And it's amazing that and, and R.C. Sproul talks about it in the basic training uh, video on the Apostles' Creed. He, and, and he points it out, and it, and it does really stick out to me as well. It's just all these branches that Messiah was to be, all these different things that Messiah was to be, it would have made more sense in our minds if it had been several different people fulfilling all these different streams of branches of things that the Messiah was going to be, but instead all of those things are fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we go to the second piece that we need to understand of what we're confessing. He is the only begotten Son of God, the only Son of God. Uh, this is the monogenes. He is the only begotten son. You know, that's mentioned in John 3, 16, the one we all memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was created at some separate time. We can't believe that because he has been forever in eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as the Trinity in unity, in counsel with themselves and through him all things were made that were made. He is, he is forever existent, but he is the only begotten son. In confessing this, we show a belief that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. So it's important that we say that he is the only begotten son of God. He is the only son because he is God the son, second person of the Trinity. One in essence, three in persons, and he is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Now, Jesus has two titles that we look at that mention sonship in some way. You, you, we, we all know him. There's the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And then he is also the Son of Man. Both of these mention sonship. And it's amazing how these things work out. You see, the Son of God actually points to the human nature that Christ added onto himself. He didn't throw away the godness and be born as a man. He was fully God and fully man, meaning he wasn't two things. He was one thing together by taking on the nature of humanity in form so that he may fulfill the demand of the law and, 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 and then be crucified and die 
while taking the wrath of God fully upon himself. So it points to, the Son of God actually points to the human nature taken on by Christ. That even being the Son of God, his sonship comes from to the forefront because he talks about God as Father. He mentions sonship. He's showing sonship, which means he is saying, I've taken on the human nature, so I am the Son of God right now. Therefore, I am showing you the humanity side of what I am. But then he says also, son of man. And this is actually the one he self-identifies most as, as the son of man. As we saw in our, in our uh, original text, he says, who do men say the son of man is? So he's calling himself the son of man. Now the son of man, you would think, well, it says man, so that must point to him as I know. That actually identifies him as deity. That identifies him as God. Because only the prophesied Son of Man could do the things that he did. One of the things that he did as the Son of Man was he took upon himself on the cross all of the wrath of God. Only God could endure the wrath of God on the cross. We couldn't. No human could. But he could. He took all of our sin and he also took all of our wrath. So, he is the only Son. And it is important that we confess him as such. Now, the last piece, maybe the key to the entire confession, the key to our confession of faith, our Lord. We believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. This is the key to the confession. It is piece of the confession that not only identifies Christ, but speaks of our relationship to him. That upon being born again, he becomes our Lord. That's important. And Lord corresponds to the word Adonai. Adonai basically means the one who is sovereign. So one who has sovereign power, one who has sovereignty, over this earth, this is a title reserved only for God. No one else but God. To ascribe this to Christ is to clearly define Christ as God, as deity. There is deity in Christ. Even his birth announcement points to him as Lord. It was that important that we know that he is Lord, that he is deity, that he is God. In Luke 2, 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, our Sovereign. Listen, he must be Lord. Lord, his, his being Lord needs to define our relationship with him. Understand that he is Lord. He is sovereign. He is above all things. He is all authority in heaven and in earth, as he said as he was descending or ascending into heaven. He is Lord. And we need to confess him as such. He must be Lord in our lives. Now, I want to look at two places in Scripture 
that begin to speak on this confession in this way and how and how we should confess Christ. This one is is a little lengthy, but I hope you kind of stick with me on this. Is this is from Peter's first sermon, Acts two, verse twenty-two through twenty-six. It says, "Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God." with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in our midst, as you yourself know. And this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, this is where he's quoting what David says. I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has, had sworn with him, an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Now, Peter's first sermon to the people shows the absolute necessity to have this as our confession and belief. Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Jesus, whom you crucified. So he is Lord and Christ. It's a certainty. Peter preaches that as a 100 absolute certainty. It is an absolute truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Now, as we continue to look on, I want to go to Philippians Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Another little bit lengthy set of verses, but listen. 
we're establishing something here. And I hope it establishes our hearts in Christ. It says in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Listen to this. Who though he was in the form of God, he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So in the form of God, taking human form as well. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, at the end, when this is all said and done, when Christ returns to resurrect the dead and bring us, bring bring the bodies out of the ground and bring us with him, and we see him face to face, at the end of all of it, every knee will have to confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will say that he is Lord. And some go against these things. They try to make Jesus into some kind of humble sissy who never actually said he was, he, he never said he was God. He was always so humble and kind and he just, he just wanted to help and love people and make everybody feel good about themselves. Listen. He identified himself very clearly and those who say that he did not identify himself in this way are, are wrong if they have read any scripture. John 17 says this in verses one through three. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He's calling himself the son of God here. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. He's Lord and he has authority. He is sovereign. Verse three. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And listen to this. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He called himself Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying his first name and last name. He was saying, I am Jesus, the anointed one of God, the Messiah prophesied for thousands of years. I am the Christ. 
So those who think he never identified himself in that way need to read scripture because it's true. Christ confessed himself as the anointed one. Some would say, okay, listen, so what? I, 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 believe, I believe all that. That's cool. You know, he's, he's, he's Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. Yeah, that's good. Cool. He's, he's the Lord, right? How do we apply this to our lives is what matters. And I think first, we must understand the importance of these things. This, is, this, is, this line is essential for us to believe and to confess in the way it should be confessed, okay? It is of the utmost importance that we believe this. Because there's no hope of salvation unless these things are true. That he is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. He must be Christ to be the one sent to save us. That's what Scripture tells us, the Messiah. The Messiah must come and do the things prescribed in order for salvation to, to happen. The, the law must be fulfilled. There must be a death. Sin must be taken upon one creature and wrath must be poured out upon that person. That was Christ. He must be the only son in order to endure the wrath and fulfill the law. He had to be the only son because he had to fulfill the law as man and bear the wrath as God. And he must be Lord if we are to be saved through him. He must be our Lord. That we must confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, if he is these things, then the word is true. The Bible is true by what it says. Our God is faithful because he has fulfilled the covenant of redemption through Christ. And our hope is sure. We have a sure hope, a solid foundation to stand on. And I think that's true. Lastly, this Jesus that we describe in this line... Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord, He is the only name by which men can be saved. Without Him, we have no gospel to declare to the world. You see, because only this Jesus that we describe, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. This Jesus is the only one who can save. He's the only one. So if you are not in Christ, you are not saved, you have no hope, the wrath of God remains upon you, and upon death you will see hell, unfortunately. I would pray that you would come to a saving knowledge of Christ and a faith in Him. Pray that God would draw you unto Himself. Holy Spirit would convict. You would repent of your sin and turn to Christ quickly. Run to Him. You have no hope otherwise. Also, because He is 
who we confess him to be in this line. We have something to share with this world. We have a hope, a gospel, a truth that you're born sinful and you have no way of fixing that problem. But in Christ, there's hope. For Christ took all of our sin upon himself, endured the wrath of God upon the cross, died, was buried, and rose again in order that we may be saved and justified in him. Only Jesus can save the lost. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. We need him. We have to have him or there's no hope for us. I pray that you would either come to a saving knowledge of him or that if you are a Christian, that if you are born again, that this knowledge, this thought would pervade your mind constantly, that you would always be meditating upon the wonderful glories of Christ because he is truly majestic, truly beautiful, and a lovely savior. So, let me pray for you. Father God, Thank you so much for this word and for the truth it contains. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. He truly is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. In all of scripture, there is prophecy pointing to him. He is the center of scripture. He is the center of salvation. He is the one who justifies. He is the one who sanctifies through the power of his blood. Thank you so much for him. Lord, we ask that you would bring any who don't know you to a saving faith in Christ. And God, for those who do know you, that our hearts and lives may be changed forever by the power of Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross, that he has set us free wholly and completely, and that we are his and we are yours forever. We give you honor. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope to see you uh, Sunday at 11 a.m. at Reality Church. And now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed by this message from Pastor Jason. If you like what you heard, go ahead to our Facebook page and like Reality Church. Also, go on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Reality Church. God bless you.